Welcome to Paper Boys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. I'm your host, James. And I'm your other host, Charlie. Do you ever read about science in the news and think, there's got to be more to this story? Well, every Thursday, James and I go to the actual research papers behind these stories to open up the work behind beautiful new discoveries and cut through misinformation in the media. Well, Charlie, I'm excited about today's episode because I brought in a paper about bringing brains back to life after death. Whoa, this, okay, this sounds kind of scary. Yeah, you've probably seen recently in the news, there's been a lot of headlines about bringing these pig brains back to life based on some recent research that came out in Nature. So I had the chance to actually read the paper, and I'm excited to tell you about the real science that's behind some of these headlines. Well, I'm excited to learn about it because it definitely has seemed sensationalized. So I'm looking forward to hearing what the, what the real science is here. So James and I are both PhD students, and we read a lot of papers for our own research. And so we started this podcast as a way of sharing this love for science that we have with anyone else who wants to learn about discoveries that affect us all. We are the Paper Boys. So before we dive into this paper, we just want to say thank you everyone for listening. Please follow us on Instagram or Twitter. Our handle is at PaperboysPod. This episode actually came on a recommendation from one of our Twitter followers, Damon Baker. So thank you so much to Damon. And uh, for anyone else out there who comes across a cool story about some new science and want us to cover it, just give us a shout. Again, that's at PaperboysPod is our handle. So James, this topic is about bringing dead brains back to life. And honestly, it sounds a little bit like a zombie movie or something to me. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about maybe what has been the coverage of this science in the news? Like, how have people been hearing about this lately? Yeah, absolutely. So this story is covered across basically the entire internet. Not sure about the dark net, but pretty much <laughs> if you search pig and brains right now in Google, you'll get like dozens and dozens and dozens of hits from different news sources. So here's a small sampling of the many different news headlines I saw. LA Times said, Calm down, everyone. Keeping dead pig cells alive is not brain resuscitation. Okay, so they're already kind of shooting down what I thought this was about. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to tweak it. Some people said, When is dead really dead? Study on pig brains reinforces that death is a vast gray area. And then The Guardian says, The revival of pigs' brains inspires hopes and fears. Yeah, fears on my end. Although I feel like every other paper that you bring in, James, I am scared of what is really being covered. And then you always swoop in and tell me, it'll be okay, Charlie. Hey, says the guy who brought in the paper about eggs. Changed my whole life. That's true. We've been getting a lot of uh, dirty feedback on that one. Everyone telling me that I ruined breakfast for them. <laughs> All of our egg-centric listeners. James, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to delete you from this episode if you make any more egg puns like, like that episode. I think that was the last one I had. So. <laughs> okay. So all of these news headlines were based on a paper that came out in Nature on April 17th, so just last week. The title of the paper is Restoration of Brain Circulation and Cellular Functions Hours Postmortem. You notice there's no words about zombies or pending doom in the title. 
it's uh yes although it is still pretty true to what these articles are making it sound like you know it's not like some weird convoluted thing it is actually restoration of cellular functions post-mortem i mean that to me sounds like you're bringing something back from the dead it's true and it does bring up interesting questions about life and death that we should definitely talk about i think you'll see as we dive into this research that i mean these are really like cellular functions this is not like global consciousness of a pig brain that has been dead for hours and they're very I see. very very explicit about that so this pig couldn't suddenly like reanimate and start moving or something no no i mean the brain is removed from the pig so if you oh, tried okay. to wiggle so not much use little anymore. piggy toes he wouldn't have much luck one cool thing just looking at the author list there's probably 15 authors on it but one of the authors stephen latham is actually a Yale bioethicist who worked with the team and helped consider some of the ethical questions. And actually, as they were working with the brains, they were ready at any point to anesthetize the brain should consciousness have been resuscitated. Really? So it sounds like this paper is not really just a biological one. It's kind of maybe brings up some moral questions. It does. It does. Um, I mean, if you actually dive into the paper, the paper is very technical. I mean, it's very much like a cell bio paper uh, or neuroanatomy paper but you know when you start getting into these questions where science is bridging the gap neuroethics are really important so it's cool to see that they brought that in and they do have some brief mentions about the ethics of what they were doing oh so you're saying that this paper really is more is very tech heavy it's not actually about the ethics of the situation yeah absolutely i mean i can actually read you an excerpt from the abstract just to give you an idea of sort of how it's the media coverage has gone from this very technical abstract to these broad ethical questions of life and death that we see more in the news headlines. Okay, uh, I'm bracing myself. Here's to not mispronouncing any of these very technical words. <laughs> so, we have developed an extracorporeal pulsatile perfusion system and a hemoglobin-based acellular non-coagulative echogenic and cytoprotective perfusit that promotes recovery from anoxia, reduces reperfusion injury, prevents edema, and metabolically supports the energy requirements of the brain. With this system, we observe preservation of cytoarchitecture, attenuation of cell death, and restoration of vascular, dilatory, and glial inflammatory responses, spontaneous synaptic activity, and active cerebral metabolism in the absence of global electrocortographic activity. Woo! Okay, well, I guess we can just end the episode because everyone really got it now, so... Yeah. Thanks, guys, for listening. No, this sounds uh, this sounds crazy dense. And I feel like you brought that in as like a little humble brag to just be like, hey, everyone, just so you know how hard my job really is, because you are, you're so good at filtering the science down to the listeners. But a uh, few people actually see what <laughs> what crazy stuff you have to read when you do this kind of paper. I'm honored you would say that, Charlie. But if anybody actually saw my notes on this article and all the different words that I had to look up and <laughs> like my search history for how many times I had to relook those words up again after I forgot what they meant because <laughs> my brain was saturated, then uh, they would not feel that way. But thank you. Well, thank you for looking those things up so we don't have to. So why why are they actually researching this? What What are the implications here? So this is, it's a really interesting research, actually. As mammals, we have large, very energy-hungry brains. And a result of that is that if they lose blood flow and their supply of oxygen, our brains will quickly shut down and die. This paper cites several interesting studies that show that when oxygen within the brain is depleted, within seconds, you lose global electrical activity. So electrical activity that's connecting different portions of the brain together. 
and then as a result you lose consciousness it's not too much of a surprise i think people know that oxygen and breathing are very important you can't hold your breath for very long yeah i mean it's crazy we all know that just because we're humans we know what kills us but it's interesting to kind of understand the mechanism behind that and it's i can't imagine like being a scientist who's studying that that sounds kind of morbid almost yeah morbid in the sense of death but also i mean understanding that is uh critical to coming up with new medical techniques as well to help revive people in fact there have actually been a lot of findings that bring into question whether brain activity is completely lost minutes or even hours after blood flow is cut off really is there like actual research on that kind of stuff yeah definitely one common technique for studying brains from dead animals, and actually, I think even humans I was reading, is if you can extract brain tissue right away after the animals died, I think you slice it and put it on ice. You have to chill it down really quickly, but you can actually still see electrical activity hours later. Whoa, no way. Yeah, this is an important technique for studying different brain mechanisms and uh, like neural signaling. However, you lose a lot of important information because you have to perform a slice. So a lot of the anatomical structure is gone because you just now have a small, thin subsection. I see. So they're still seeing electrical activity, but it's not necessarily anything meaningful. It's kind of like when a lizard cuts its tail off to run away and that tail is sitting there still wriggling, but it's not it's not really like an, a live animal at that point. Yeah, the tail has no sense of consciousness. There's no the tail thinks, therefore it is kind of thing and you couldn't like reconstruct the lizard from the tail no no you can't find its life okay. story by asking the tail okay but still that is crazy that they're able to see like the brain still undergoing activity for you said an hour after it died uh hours yeah and then in cats and macaque monkeys they have shown that after an hour of interrupted blood flow neural and electrophysiological and actually metabolic recovery as well can occur using this technique called reperfusion. Really? Wait, so what does reperfusion mean? So reperfusion is essentially reoxygenating the tissue. So pushing blood back through cells to deliver oxygen. Oftentimes, this actually damages cells if they've been cut off. They talk about reperfusive injury. So if you've cut off blood and then you reintroduce it, it can actually cause more damage. But um, there's some interesting Whoa. cases like this where you can actually sort of bring things back into action. That's why, for example, if tissue dies and then you, you can't just like pump blood back through it and heal it again, it degrades a lot. And then the process of pumping blood through it again just further deteriorates it from the pressure. Interesting. That's I mean, that's it sounds again, it's one of those things that sounds so intuitive, but then you actually think about it and you're like, well, why would that be? But it sounds like you said they are able to achieve that in these cats and macaque monkeys, right? In very specific instances. But the instances from this were enough to give the researchers some hope that maybe there are possible techniques. Okay, so this paper is attempting to do this reperfusion technique in some way. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And actually, I can pull out the exact hypothesis from the paper. They say, we postulate that under appropriate conditions, certain molecular and cellular functions in the large mammalian brain can retain at least partial capacity for restoration after a prolonged post-mortem interval. So, in other words, some brain function can be preserved even a long time after death. Okay, that's, I mean, that's a crazy hypothesis. Also, side note, I appreciate that they just, like, straight up said their hypothesis. Right? Like, that's not a common thing to find in, in science papers. 
as someone who is very far away from this field of brain restoration, it, I was very thankful that they put that in there. It made the paper much easier to understand. Yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty ideal. Like they may as well just have highlighted that paragraph and said, this is the important part, you know? Yes, I did go in and highlight that <laughs> the paper. <laughs> uh, so I would not. That's good it. writing. I mean, I appreciate that. Definitely. So this does sound kind of like they're aiming for a big a big leap over what has been achieved before, but they still do mention that they need, you know, appropriate conditions. What is what does that mean in this context? Yeah, so essentially what the researchers developed was this three-prong approach. And I think in explaining this, it'll give you the listeners a better idea of what these conditions are. So their approach involved a surgical procedure for actually extracting the brain, the perfusate, the perfusate's the specific fluid that they're using for pre- preservation. They can't use blood, so they use this artificial concoction to help preserve the brain. And then this custom device, it's called the pulsatile perfusion device. And essentially, you can think of this as like a really fancy pump that is used to push the perfusate through the brain, collect it, filter it, get it at the right temperature, and pump it through again. Sort of like an artificial heart. Okay. And for all of this to work, they need to maintain the brain and these fluids at approximately 37 degrees Celsius. Okay, wait a second. So there's really two things of what you've just said. So the first is that they've developed a system where they take the brain out and then instead of pumping blood into it, they pump this fluid called a perfusate and then and they're using a specific device to do it. So they did not have to like slice this brain into pieces or anything and they didn't have to put it on ice or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, essentially. So they do have to put it on ice temporarily, but um, I can walk you through the timeline, so then that might be helpful. Okay, that that would be. But the second thing is that it sounds like the only condition here is they need to keep it at the right temperature. I mean, I guess the other conditions are using this specific fluid and this specific device, but that just sounds like a, more of an engineering question than a biological one. Yeah, I mean, basically, but really the perfusate is doing a lot of that work to maintain these conditions. It's a really well-engineered fluid that is helping to maintain the structure of the brain and the integrity of the cells in the brain. And I actually pulled up a diagram of this. We'll post it on the website and the link to the paper. But the diagram for the system, this system that's pumping the perfusate through the brain and collecting it, uh, it's pretty complicated. Okay. So the breakthrough really is the this full system that they've developed. Like the, the system is the technique is what you're saying. Yeah. Yep, the system is part of the technique. All right. I mean, if that's the case, then why don't you, you mentioned you you could walk us through the, the timeline or the process of how this system works. Could you maybe go into those details? Yeah, definitely. So starting at t equals zero, you have the death of the animal. In this case of the study, they were working with pigs that they were getting from a USDA approved slaughterhouse. So these pigs were being used for food. And this is actually an important ethical consideration in their paper, the idea that they didn't want to have to unnecessarily kill any animals. So these pigs were being slaughtered, and then they got basically the head of the pig, and they spent an hour flushing the blood out of the system. Wait, so the pig is being killed at the slaughterhouse in like an uncontrolled environment. They're getting like a legit dead pig, not like a euthanized pig or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it was killed at a slaughterhouse. I mean, per USDA regulations, which I think for the pig, it sounded like were pretty well prescribed. But yeah, I guess what I mean is that this isn't in a lab. Right. This isn't just like some lab procedure necessarily. I mean, it is a lab procedure to revive this brain, but 
you're getting something that is probably as close to in the field dead as as you're going to get, right? Yep. And they couldn't violate the USDA regulations for killing the pig because it was going towards meat. So how soon after this pig is killed, are they able to get their hands on it and, and do their procedure? So right after the pig is killed, there's basically this hour-long period of brain flushing, which is well-prescribed. They basically push saline solution through the head to clear out blood. And then there's this three-hour period that includes the transport from the slaughterhouse to the surgical facility. The brain's put on ice in this case. And then they start um, doing some surgical preparation to remove skin and bone and things like that to get the brain ready to put into the device. So that brings us up to four hours after the pig has died, where they then start a six-hour monitoring period. Monitoring while they're doing their... I guess, or I guess by monitoring, I mean testing. So there's a six-hour test period. Okay. So four hours, the brain's been dead. It's been on ice for almost all of that time. And now they're going to try their technique. Yep. And so in order to test their hypothesis, they came up with four different test cases. The first is they looked at a brain that had been essentially flushed of blood. So one hour after it had been killed. This was sort of like the baseline case. Then they looked at two cases to see how the brain would degrade in other control scenarios. One, they performed perfusion with this control liquid. So not the very well-engineered one that's designed to maintain the brain. It's just sort of using their device with some control liquid. The next case was essentially taking the brain, flushing it, and then letting it sit at room temperature for 10 hours. <laughs> that sounds smelly. Yeah. yeah. And then the final case was putting the brain in the device and performing perfusion with this special perfusit that they developed. So they put the brain in the device and they use their special liquid to try to maintain the brain. Okay, so the first three cases are all varying degrees of we didn't do anything. And the fourth case is we applied our system. Yes, in a sense. Okay. So in all these cases, they also looked at the brains and performed different tests, which we can get into. So you said that the tests would last for six hours. Is that number picked for any specific reason? Yeah, this is actually kind of interesting. So what they found was that when they took the brain and put it in their perfusion device and pumped it with the control liquid... They found that after six hours, they couldn't really pump anything more through the brain. It just deteriorated too much, the blood vessels. So that was sort of the limit where they're like, let's only test for six hours. Because after that point, it's like you're not collecting really any more valuable data. The brain functions dead. Oh, I, I mean, I feel like that's an important, I feel like that's a really important point, right? That no, even with their really maybe very good system, six hours is kind of a hard limit that this brain is not going to function anymore. Well, so that was with the control system. They don't actually know how long they could continue sort of maintaining this basic functionality of the brain if they use their fancy perfusit. Oh, okay. So so that's a little bit of a spoiler, but they were able to go indefinitely. They're not sure. They didn't do anything more than six hours, but it is an area of interest that they want to look into. Okay, so the so the important thing here, though, is that after six hours without their system, this brain is totally gone. Yeah. And then after six hours with the system, it's potentially not. So you could potentially keep doing research on it more than six hours after you've put it in the device. So that's 10 hours after the pig has died. Okay, this is starting to get really crazy. I'm wondering how actually they like hook the brain up to this pump and how they actually are able to sustain it for those six hours. Yeah, it's pretty cool. 
So they take the brain and they put it in a brain chamber, which looks basically like a bowl from what I can see from the schematic. It's probably more complicated than that. <laughs> I'm sure there's a very technical term that we're missing, but <laughs> yeah, uh, put the brain in the bowl. <laughs> it doesn't quite fly for nature. Um, so then they take the brain and they hook it up to the machine. They take the main veins and arteries, the left and right internal carotid arteries, and they use a computer-controlled pulse pump that essentially takes oxygenated perfusate, so this liquid that has oxygen, and it creates like heart pumps. You can imagine like it's an artificial heart, basically. Yeah, it's kind of like... It's like hacking your brain. It's like trying to make your brain think that it's getting input from your heart. Yeah, exactly. And they inject oxygen through an arterial oxygenator, which was pretty cool to read about as an engineer. It's neat how you can infuse blood with oxygen, side note. But then once this is this perfusate is pumped through the brain, it's collected from the veins, it's passed through a filtration system and a heat exchange system that controls it and maintains it at a a temperature of about 37 degrees C, so basically like body temp, and then it just repeats the cycle. Oxygen is added, it's pumped back through the brain, and the cycle continues. The great circle. Okay, so this sounds like actually less complicated than I was expecting. I mean, I'm sure the work behind it is crazy complicated, but in effect, they're just trying to make the brain think that it's still hooked up to a body. It's just they're pushing something that's not blood through. Yeah, basically that is that is wild dude this is okay now we're diving deeper we've gone back to the other side of this this valley where it does sound pretty spooky to me like this sounds like soviet scientists in the 60s or something like have you seen that picture of of like they cut off a dog's head or something and then they like tried to reattach it and like reanimate it and it like kind of worked or something whoa no this is the first i've ever heard about that that is insane Honestly, I don't even know if like I just saw that on some like fake internet board or not, but this is making me think along those lines, you know, of like these scientists in a lab hooking this brain up to their machine that then they can talk to the brain or something like that. <laughs> yeah. It almost reminds me of Futurama, like the uh Yes, the talking heads. Yeah, the heads in the jars, that's exactly what this <laughs> this is like. Yeah. That those jars are probably filled with perfusate fluid. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, very possible. So that does sort of beg the question of what are they actually doing to the brain? I mean, I imagine they're trying to measure the activity somehow. Like, how how do they do that? That is a good question. So that's what then, I'd say, almost half the paper talked about. Uh, there's some really cool images that they put together of the results. But essentially what they were doing was they were looking at different aspects of brain functionality to see how it was maintained by their system. So at first, they looked at blood flow, then they looked at high-level neural structures, like the actual shapes of the brain, basically. Then they got into lower-level details, and then they got into some more of the finer functionality, like electrical firing and metabolism. So we'll talk a little bit about each of those. Do they measure these things the same way that they would for like a living human? Like, Can you put this into like an MRI machine or like hook up those electrodes to it or something? Yeah, actually, they did that. They did just that. Are you you serious? They just like shoved this bowl into a big magnetic (laughs) tube? (laughs) I mean, yeah, they just shoved the bowl into the tube. (laughs) Okay, that's actually crazy. Uh, Sorry, I'm like kind of at a loss for words, but they just did an MRI on this like zombie brain sitting in a bowl. (laughs) 
yeah i have no idea how that like logistically how that worked but um they have some pretty cool mri images from it so they started off at least in the paper i don't know exactly timeline wise how they did it but um they started off by doing an angiogram where they measured blood flow through different vessels in the brain and then they looked at how well the brain maintained its anatomy using mri and what was cool was they noticed that in the test cases so when they pumped it with like the control perfusate that liquid that isn't as fancy and when they looked at the brain that was just sitting for 10 hours these lost a lot of their structure but in the case where they used their more advanced perfusate the brain structure actually maintained itself much better okay that's crazy so when they use this system with this advanced perfusate it's actually like somehow supporting the complex structure of the brain is that like the cell structure when they're talking about structure or are they talking about like the way the brain is folded in on itself or or what um so this is talking about like the actual ventricles so these are basically hollow liquid filled bodies of the brain and they saw in the case of the brain that was just sitting for 10 hours these would collapse but for the brain that was pumped with this advanced perfusate it maintained its close to healthy shape for much longer okay i mean that makes sense because you're pumping something through it so how come it wouldn't work if you were just pumping like blood or water What happens is that, from what I understood, the tissue starts to get oxidative damage and stress. And so the tissue actually starts to lose its structural integrity and collapse. Okay, so there's actually something in this perfusate that is allowing maybe the cells that make up these ventricles to continue to support them. Yeah, I think it's kind of slowing a little. it's It's sort of slowing cell death as well. Okay. I mean, this is crazy. It's like almost too much for me to take in and like, you know, digest right now, which is why like my questions are so are so vague. But every one of those adjectives in the beginning from that abstract that I was reading is like, you know, a huge amount of work to design this perfusate so that it has that effect. Every one of those single words is like a huge contributor. Yeah. And that's what I find so interesting about this study is that each layer you peel back, there's another layer to the actual, you know, science going on. I mean, just designing the experiment in the first place is already like a crazy science undertaking. And then and then to build this system is a huge engineering problem of like, how do we build this pump system that can replicate the heart? And then it's like, well, what are we going to pump through it? And then it's like, well, let's pump this thing because it has these certain qualities that will keep the cells alive longer. It's like, okay, why does it keep the cells alive longer? Well, that's because, you know, it's like, Oh my God. I, I mean, I could just keep asking another question and keep going until we have no freaking clue what we're talking. Well, we already have no clue what we're talking about, but we're on the fringes. Yeah. You know, I would just love to sit down with the authors of this paper for like, you know, maybe about six hours while one of these tests is running and just keep digging deeper and deeper and figure out where the rabbit hole goes. Yeah. And imagine for them, like they just did this test, but the rabbit hole keeps going deeper and deeper from here. Yeah, yeah. So coming back up to the to the surface a little more, you said that there was a couple different tests they did on these brains. So we just talked about kind of the MRIs and looking at the structure of the brain. Was there anything more detailed they were able to find out? Yeah, definitely. So they did a lot, and I'll try to just give a nice high-level picture of what they did. If it's interesting to you, I definitely suggest checking out the paper slightly outside of the scope to get into all the nitty-gritty details. We'll be here for hours. Enjoyably, but... We'll be here for hours otherwise. Bonus episode, we'll do. So they looked at what's called the cytoarchitecture of the brain, meaning the arrangements of cells in the tissue. And this is particularly important in certain parts of the brain where the arrangement of cells is associated with different functions. And then they looked at 
areas of the brain that are highly susceptible to a lack of oxygen and blood flow, such as the hippocampus, the neocortex, and the cerebellum. They perform these analyses using microscope stains, like you normally see in cell pathology, and then confocal immunofluorescent microscopy. These are just really high contrast images of the cells so that they can look at specific structures. Okay, so they're really zooming in then to do this stuff. Did they actually find that like cells at this level got scrambled or were dying or anything like that? They did, yeah. So especially in the control cases, so the brain just sitting there and pumping the brain with the non-advanced perfusate, what they call the control perfusate, um, they noticed a lot of death and they noticed a lot more similarity between the brain that had only been dead for an hour and the brain that had been pumped for six hours with the advanced perfusate. So this suggested that by using this advanced perfusate and the methods that they had developed, they could maintain the structural integrity of the brain, both at a high level, like from the MRI images, but also at this low cellular functional level, as they found through the microscopy. Yeah, and it was, you know, as good as the brain that had been dead for very little time. That I mean, that's wild. Yeah. This is making me think this is going to be a total side tangent, but I read this article on this website, Wait But Why, which I, have you read that before? Oh, yeah. That's a great website. Yeah. So any, everyone should go check it out. If you like this podcast, I know you'll like that website. He had a whole post about cryonics, which is when someone dies, you then go collect their body and freeze them in the hopes that one day they can be reanimated. Whoa. Like I think a bunch of famous celebrities are fro- like I think... Isn't like Walt Disney cryogenically frozen somewhere? Like I've heard that. Isn't that, is that the just plot of Austin Powers? Or? Yes, Austin Powers <laughs> is frozen and comes back in the in the 1990s. But one thing I remember from this article is that it's extremely important how quickly after the person dies that the team can get to them to put their brain on ice, basically, because that short amount of time is just hours could be the difference between brain death and you know physical death. So it's interesting for you to say that with this technique, they're able to keep it in the same state that it had within one hour after death, you know, indefinitely, or at least for six hours for this test. I mean, that has huge implications for cryonics, assuming that that is potentially a real a real field moving forward, you know? Yeah, potentially. I mean, it's definitely at least a step in that general direction, right? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of making me like, I don't know, really, really believe that maybe one day we can just bring ourselves back i don't know yeah i mean if this if this test like totally failed or something then maybe be like oh it's not possible but who knows it didn't totally fail it didn't totally fail in fact they had a lot of success within their bounds man that is this is crazy sorry it's kind of just like making my head spin a little bit sorry that i'm i'm all over the place but no it's it's there's a lot of really interesting thoughts that come up with this. So we've talked about kind of these particular tests that they've done and seeing, looking at the structure on a macro scale and then on a micro scale. What, but what's the bottom line here? Like, were they able to test for any sort of normal brain activity, like for consciousness even? Yeah, so that's a great question. And they monitored the brain the entire time to check for things like consciousness Um, This is part of the ethics poll that they had in this research, and they were ready to administer anesthesia in any circumstance, if that were the case. And I think actually in the perfusate, there's a compound that sort of like drugs the brain. So wait, that's crazy. So they were planning on if somehow this brain like kind of came to life and they could tell that it was like thinking, 
they were just going to immediately kill it. Anesthetize it. But in part of the surgical procedure, they also removed some of the major nerves anyways. So Okay. But I mean, to me, it's like, well, that would be probably the biggest scientific breakthrough, like maybe of all time. And they would just immediately be like, oh, no, 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 no. Shut it off. (laughs) Yeah. It would have been insane. Like, I don't, (laughs) science doesn't know how to operate within those bounds yet. Yeah. Anyway, but that, that that's cool and interesting that they even, you know, were ready for that scenario. Yeah. So then what was actually like their criterion for, oh, it's it's conscious. Shut it down. So they used a grid of electrodes called electrocorticography or ECOG, which you can use to measure. It's high enough resolution that you can measure individual neural spikes, but also broad enough resolution that you can see like global activity in the brain going from different regions and Essentially, what they found was there was no global activity that might indicate sort of organized neural activity. All they could see really was activity of individual neurons, which is still really impressive and still really useful for research. But there was no consciousness of the brain. Okay, so neurons were kind of firing around like just electrical signals were bouncing back and forth, but it wasn't really it was just totally random stuff like the like the lizard's tail again. Yeah, more so they used this technique called patch clamp. So if you inject a voltage, they could get neurons to fire. Oh, I see. I see. So the the neurons were still alive and active. I see. Potentially active. So we covered a lot here. And I mean, I can't, I have to imagine this paper was like 100 pages long based on how much you've already told me. Actually, only seven. (laughs) Only seven? Before all the like dozens and dozens of supplementary pages. But yeah, font size four and a half. Yeah. (laughs) So was there anything else that they kind of covered or was was that sort of their like big conclusion? The last really cool thing that they checked was for metabolism in the brain. And essentially what they did was by adding glucose and oxygen into the perfusate, they found that the brain was consuming them still. So there was still active metabolism in the brain. No way. Yeah. Which is oh, that's pretty kinda, cool, right? That kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies a bit. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, like, I know, we, you know, we were kind of talking a little clinically about this, but like, this is a dead pig's brain. And there it is, like, basically eating. Yeah. Brains. It's like, oh, it's like, it's just like, oh, please, like, just keep giving me food. I don't care that I belong to a now slaughtered pig. Just give me more glucose, you know? Yeah. It sort of reminds me of uh, Little Shop of Horrors, you know, the big... The big plant that's just saying, feed me, feed me. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was it was a really cool study. So this whole thing, I I think Damon Baker on Twitter got way more than he bargained for asking for us to do this study. I mean, I'm getting more than I bargained for when we came into this. Like, I'm kind of overwhelmed right now. Yeah. I mean, it's a dense paper and there are so many different facets that you can look at it. Like the science is really interesting. And it's cool because it you can't help but start thinking about the ethical implications of consciousness. You know, at where do you declare life and death? What future technology could this develop? How do you go from these small level cellular activity to high level consciousness? It's like, spend a lifetime. Yeah. You know what I find kind of funny is that like these is that people will always talk about how like, oh, well, it, we'll have the singularity eventually and then we'll all be able to download our consciousness somewhere and then technically you're immortal because then you can just upload that to a new body or something and everyone's like yeah 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 of course like no problem like there's nothing wrong with that download your consciousness sure and then you start talking about like 
you know, bringing a dead brain back to life. And suddenly it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do we want to really play God here? <laughs> yeah. Like, well, what's what's the difference? I mean, why do we have a big problem? You know, black it's just, it's funny how like, it. yeah, like when you're talking in such hypotheticals, it's like, yes, yes, of course, of course. And then suddenly like a paper like this comes out and it's like, whoa, uh, wait, wait a second, wait a second. <laughs> whoa. Yeah. I think you start to, the fear starts to kick in and you're like, what if this big had enemies and it comes back to life? <laughs> yeah. It gets a little too real all of a sudden. Yeah. So with all the many facets of this paper, do you think that the news was able to pick up on kind of the most important parts or do you think they really sensationalized this? So I wouldn't say that they sensationalized it. I thought they did a good job of responsibly reporting facts. However, I did notice that most of the news reports spent an unequal amount of time talking about the ethics. Whereas if you actually look at the content of the paper, the ethics are important, but represent a much smaller portion of the text. And so in in other words, I didn't feel as satisfied reading the news articles as I did diving into the actual nature paper because there were a lot of really interesting technical details that they just didn't get into. Yeah. I mean, after hearing about it, it's like, I, I can kind of understand why. This seems like a really hard one to to break down. And, and it's good that it has so many layers because you can kind of just give that first layer of like, oh, well, they took the brain out and they gave it to this new system they've developed that really just acts like a heart. And uh, and here's what they saw. Yeah. And I think that you can kind of get you can kind of get what they did from that, you know. So that's, I mean, that makes this kind of really good science in some sense. But I'm glad that that we've lifted the veil a bit and and learned some of the more details here. But yeah, if only selfishly for ourselves and for Damon Baker and for Damon Baker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We really hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested, you can find more about this paper on our website, paperboyspodcast.com. We'll post links to both the original journal article in Nature, as well as some of the better news articles that we read. If you're interested as well, we also now have Paperboys podcast merch. Check it out. You can get t-shirts, sweatshirts, even tote bags and coffee mugs. So check it out. All the proceeds go right back into the podcast. Yeah, that tote bag is a real, real big selling point. <laughs> uh, please, please share this episode with a friend. Share it on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at paperboyspod. I'm not joking. We actually see like a major bump in listens, even when like a single person shares it and it gets some traction. So it really means a lot to us when people are out there telling people how much they like the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. Please join us next week for another exciting edition of Paper Boys. Thanks for listening.